Differentiated instruction, a cornerstone of effective teaching, recognizes that students possess unique strengths, learning styles, and needs. By tailoring instructional approaches and content, educators create inclusive classrooms that embrace diversity and ensure every learner thrives. This approach involves designing strategies such as flexible grouping, tiered assignments, and varied instructional materials to provide multiple pathways to success, personalized support, and the right level of challenge for each student. Welcome to episode 139 of the Teacher Rockstar podcast, a place where tips and strategies critical to the new teacher are discussed. We share the latest educational research and best practices so that the new teacher can be better equipped for a successful classroom experience. I'm your host, Steve Hiles, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about taking a deep dive into differentiated instruction with our special guest, Dr. John Shabari. But before we get into today's topic, I have a question for you. Are you a brand new teacher that just graduated from college? Would you be interested in having somebody to mentor and guide you as you transition into the classroom? Well, stay to the end of this episode, and I'll provide you with a link to learn how you can. Also, I want to mention that you can find us on YouTube. Simply go to the search bar and type in at Teacher Rockstar and check us out over there. Okay, let's dive right in. Today's guest, Dr. John Shabari, is an improvement coach through which he supports teachers and school leaders by performing on-site evaluations, identifying data-informed trends, reviewing curriculum assessment materials, creating improvement plans, coaching individuals one-on-one, developing and delivering group trainings to educators, and implementing evidence-based instructional strategies that improve teaching practices and increase student learning. John's areas of specific interest include the facilitation of professional learning communities and educator affinity networks, implementation of project-based learning, and the development of teaching practices that promote student engagement, equity, and inclusion. Raised in New Jersey, he received his undergrad degree from the University of Maryland, uh, excuse me, University of Mary Washington in Virginia, his master's degree in public administration from the University of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, his second master's degree in educational supervision from Montclair State University, New Jersey, and his doctorate in educational leadership from Seton Hall University in New Jersey. Welcome to the show, John. Glad to be here, Steve. Thanks for having me. All right. I'm so excited to have you back again to share your expertise with us today. And I know uh, our audience is going to get so much value from from what uh, you're going to be speaking on today. So, John, let's begin by, uh, if you would, tell our listeners about your journey in education. Yeah, well, you did a pretty good job there. So, <laughs> so what can I add to it? But, well, I'll uh, just touch on the highlights. <laughs> sure. So, uh I did not start off as an educator, Steve, and we might have spoken about this in the past, uh, past, actually. So I started my journey in public administration and international affairs, and I was working at a couple of think tanks in Washington, D.C. And doing that, I had the opportunity to mentor our interns. I was also teaching ESL to adult learners at the community college in Fairfax County, Virginia. And I also had a friend in graduate school who had done the Japan Exchange and Teaching Program. And that had always uh, excited me, made me curious. And I ended up actually doing it myself, having had the experience on a, you know, on a light touch level of working with adults and working with students. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I, I really think I should pursue 
this interest I have in teaching. Cause I always had that interest. Uh-huh. I just never pursued it on the undergrad level. And I'm really glad that I did go and teach in Japan, even though teaching in Japan is wildly different than teaching <laughs> here in the States. It did really confirm to me that teaching was the career I wanted to go into. And so I went into teaching and then through a variety of interesting experiences that gave me some program management experience and admin experience. I decided to go for my admin degrees and, and here we are. All right. I'll tell you, well, I have to say your journey in education has been really, truly enlightening. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, a crucial aspect of teaching, uh, which, of course, is today's topic, uh, differentiated instruction. You know, so uh, let's begin with this, though. What is differentiated instruction and what is it not? (laughs) You know, because I think that would be a great help to someone just getting into this business, just, you know, so they could kind of hit the ground running here. What, What is it? Exactly, Steve. I think that's the $24,000 question, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because if you know what it is, then it follows that you could then figure out how to implement how to do it. it right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about what it is. So differentiation at its core is meeting the student where the student is at. So a lot of times when you go into a classroom, and I don't blame teachers for this because I understand they have a lot to do. And lesson planning, good lesson planning takes time. Mm -hmm. So I understand why I might not see the following, but when I go into a classroom, sometimes I see differentiation, but a lot of times I see the teacher teaching to the middle. So they're teaching to the average student. The lesson plans are all geared towards the average learner. The the standards that they're working on, which they should be, are on grade level, Mm -hmm. but there really isn't any modifications either on the lower end to help students who are not meeting the learning objective, nor are there extensions to help the students who have already met the learning objective. So another way we could look at that is meeting the student in the student's zone of proximal learning. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is the zone that they're individually and personally ready to learn in. Because if we have a lesson plan that's been developed solely for the average learner and our student is uh, has not met that or is not able to meet the mastery of that standard, then they're going to become frustrated mm-hmm. and check out of learning. That's right. Conversely, if we have a student who has already met the learning standard, even before you've taught it, they're going to become bored. And both of those cases can result in an unmanaged classroom because frustration and boredom lead to stress, anxiety, and idle minds and idle hands. So so you want to, again, yes have a grade appropriate learning standard. You don't want to dumb it down. And that's where differentiation is not. Right. So you do want to still craft your lessons around a grade appropriate learning standard, but you might need to put scaffolds and supports in place for the lower level learners. And mm-hmm. you might need to put in extensions for the upper level learners. And we could go into what specifically differentiation can look like if you if you like. 
Yeah, yeah, I think, well, I think that would be uh, important if you take a moment to do it because, you know, coming from a new, I have to speak from personal experience here, uh, John, you know, when I first taught, you know, there wasn't a lot about differentiated instruction. I mean, you know, when I first entered the classroom, uh, or at least in my teaching preparation program, it wasn't really, you know, spelled out a lot. So I I would, you know, I thought, well, you know, uh, maybe just pass out a different worksheet. You know what exactly. I'm saying? You know, exactly, uh, it, yeah. it was. And then, of course, after things got going, you know, I would start lessons with a diagnosis of, of the lesson uh, I was going to teach. If the children already knew that, I would give them something higher. If, you, you know what I'm saying? If, if uh, I, I would just differentiate it that way. Um, but you're right about where you kind of teach toward the middle, you know, and, and the lower kids, um, you know, I've. I don't know. Uh, it could be a challenge, you know, and like you say, it's not just having 30 different lesson plans, you know, but I exactly. remember it being a real challenge when I first started until I, you know, in that second, third, fourth, you know, really started getting momentum with this thing here and, uh, you know, doing my best to differentiate. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, is it? It is not. And actually your experience as a new teacher, or as a teacher was not that different from my own. Because I believe when we came up in the teaching profession, the thought was the student accommodates to the teacher. Mm -hmm. The teacher is the one with the knowledge. Whereas, thankfully, we're seeing a shift in the 21st century into realizing that teaching isn't about the student accommodating to you as the teacher. It's about us figuring out how we're going to transfer the knowledge that we have to them. Right. So it's yeah. really about personalizing the instruction. So I just wanted to loop back to what you were saying there. So don't feel bad. I, I believe I was trained the same way. Mm -hmm. And and that's a very 20th century way of teaching. So again, I'm glad that as we move well now into the 21st century, we're seeing that shift to personalizing instruction for students. So I just wanted to highlight on, on that. Uh, and then another thing you said that was really interesting, and we could talk about this a little bit later in terms of how we differentiate. Mm -hmm. I think you were right on the money. Yes, when you're starting a new unit or more so when you're starting a new unit rather right. than a lesson, mm -hmm. doing that pre-assessment to figure out where your students are, who's above, who's at, and who's below right. standard readiness, and then making those accommodations as necessary. Uh, so we could talk about that a little bit later, and we could even talk about how to ramping up differentiation beyond just the worksheet. Worksheets have a purpose, but we could talk a little bit more about how to make differentiation come alive a little bit. So I just wanted to highlight some of those things you said there, because I thought that they were uh, good things to comment upon. Yeah. And I'm and I'm sorry, Steve, what was the other question you asked me? <laughs> oh, 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 gosh. I, I, yeah, I. It's weird because I kind of forgot my, my train of thought. <laughs> oh, we could just go ahead and move on. Maybe it'll come oh, back to I, me. No, I know what you asked oh, me. You okay. asked me to talk about what different types of differentiation. Oh, okay. There are. Yeah, yeah. So we could talk about that. Yeah. So, and again, I am a student. <laughs> yeah, I'm a student of Carol Ann Tomlinson. She's the guru of differentiation. So I would recommend uh. to any of your folks listening that they pick up any books or research that she's done, mm -hmm. but she and others talk about differentiation is really being four things. You could differentiate by content. You could differentiate by process. You could differentiate by product and you could differentiate by learning environment. So 
What we mean there is when you differentiate by content, you're changing up the materials that you're giving students to use. Right. So maybe you're giving them an article that's a little more complex or an article that's a little less complex linguistically. Mm -hmm. Process is you're differentiating how students are learning the information. So maybe on one station, they're learning information, you know, in rotations. And so some of the kids are working independently doing rotations Mm -hmm. and maybe you're taking those lower level kids and doing more direct instruction with them while the other students who are more proficient are doing something more independently. So that could be an example of how you're mixing up how students are learning the information. Right. Mm -hmm. Product is all about how we're assessing our kids. And another thing I think that was common when we were coming up in the field, Steve, was you gave a paper and pencil test at the end of the unit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, you do still need to prepare kids for those because that's what a lot of our state and federal testing still is all about. Yeah. yeah. But differentiation by product is also about having alternative assessment, authentic assessment, giving Uh kids choice in how they show you they understand a concept. So, you know, not just having a paper and pencil test, but maybe one student creates a poster and another student creates a podcast. Those are just some very simple examples. Uh And then lastly, the learning environment. I'm not saying you want to always have students teaching uh, or, or students, excuse me, working in groups if they, you know, are very gregarious, nor does it mean you want to always have students working independently if they prefer to work alone. But a, a diverse learning environment is one that alert, allows students to learn in different ways, at different times, in different means. So, you know, teachers that have a cozy chair and and a classroom library where some students can sit and work. Mm -hmm. Or Or beanbags. Exactly. Or... (laughs) And or maybe they have another table that's for students that want to collaborate. That could be an example of differentiation by learning environment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then, now this might seem like a, I don't know... uh, a question why you would even have to ask it, but why is differentiation important in the first place? I mean, sure. yeah, I mean, I know it might seem like, well, it should seem obvious, you know, but uh, what's your take on that? Why is it? it definitely, uh, yeah, definitely. Important? Yeah, definitely. And we already actually talked about it a little bit, Steve, and that mm-hmm. is if your students are frustrated, they're going to get anxious, upset, and it's going to actually turn them off to learning. Mm-hmm. And if you uh, you know, don't increase the complexity or the rigor for students who've already met the standard, they are as well are going to get mad and angry and become discipline issues. And it's important even beyond just managing your classroom. If the goal is student growth and achievement, we need student growth and achievement for all of our students. I think another thing that I'm glad we're starting to see change in education, Steve, Mm -hmm. again, when we came up, accountability was how many of your students are proficient in math or ELA. And while that is still important, I'm excited that when we evaluate schools and we assess the quality of instruction that students are receiving, that we are actually looking at student growth. 
as well as achievement. And let me explain. So if you have students who are in the 20th percentile, very low, and within one year of instruction with you, they're now at the 50th percentile, they're still not, Mm -hmm. I would say, proficient, but that's a 30% growth in one year. That needs to be accounted for and celebrated. So you need to differentiate so that way your students who are below mastery can start reaching mastery and actually learn the content. You know, we talk a lot about having to get through the curriculum as educators, mm-hmm. but what what's the point of getting through curriculum if we've lost half of our students along the way? Yeah, that's the thing I've always, you know, had heartburn with. You know what I mean? You know, you know how much of the yearly curriculum could you really yeah, to me, I've always felt, well, whatever you teach, you teach well. Okay. Exactly. And, and exactly. you know, you may not get to a hundred percent, but I mean, I would think if you got the 90%, I mean, I realize you got to teach something. I mean, you can't just, you know, just focus on one skill the whole year, you know, but, uh, but it would seem like to me that, uh, you know, 90%, if they, if they knew what they know, well, that would be good enough. Exactly. And then a little bit later, if I don't, remind myself or remember to say this myself. Uh, Let's talk about how you can figure out which standards to teach based on where your students are in their academic journey. Mm -hmm. So hold that thought. So that'll help to, you know, reduce some of that stress of getting through all the curriculum because you're right. You can't get through all the curriculum, nor necessarily do you need to. You need to focus on the area of need that your students have. On the other end, the other thing I was going to mention was I talked about those kids and the importance of scaffolding and differentiation for the lower level kids, but even for your upper level kids, if we are going to be looking at growth, Mm -hmm. the other issue that you sometimes see in schools, and I've been a consultant in schools where this has been the case, where I, even though most of the schools I'm brought into are schools where they have more needs to help students on the lower end, occasionally I am brought into schools where most of their students are on mastery or above, but there I'm brought in to help those teachers help those students also achieve growth when you're not talking about needing to see a 30% growth in achievement. But if a student's at the 90th percentile, how they can actually still help them grow. So they're providing value add and getting them even to like a 95%, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So growth is important even for your, upper level students. Otherwise, why are they, why are we even bothering having them in your class? That's right. That's right. You know, it always seemed like the kids that were uh, really, I'm not saying overachievers, but uh, were maybe borderline gifted or gifted. In fact, you know, they were just subject to, you know, teachers teaching in the middle. Exactly. You know, exactly. And then to your point, Steve, before, when you were saying pre-assessing, Mm-hmm. The other thing we need to be careful about with differentiation, and you just brought this to my mind, was in a way, and I don't mean offense by this, labeling our students as low or gifted. And I realize I was doing that in this conversation too, because (laughs) a student can be gifted on a certain standard in Mm -hmm. a certain subject. That's right. So when you are doing that pre-assessment before a unit, that can help you place your students in their appropriate uh, instructional grouping and not just automatically assuming, oh, these students are low or these students are gifted, right? right? It changes. It changes. And that's another reason why we need to differentiate on an ongoing basis. You mentioned why is it important? 
Mm-hmm. This is why it's important because no one is gifted in everything and no one is low in everything. That's right. And, and we right. need to we need to dial that up or dial that back based on the needs of the students in meeting a particular standard or learn and or learning target. Otherwise, again, we're going to label our kids. We're going to end up tracking our kids and they're not going to show growth and achievement. That's right. That's right. They may be, they may uh, excel in mathematics, not in reading, or they may excel in social studies and not in science. That's right. That's why to me, the diagnosing was extremely critical because I could take those children who were, you know, who were struggling and, and scaffold them by giving them appropriate material. And the same thing on the higher end, the other children, give them something more challenging, you know, have them creating things or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And then, and then go ahead and teach to the ones that, you know, your, your average, you know. Exactly. Uh, like and I would even, exactly. And it's, yeah. And it's even not just, oh, this kid's good in ELA and this kid's good in math, but where in ELA is this kid good? Where And even if a kid who's not good, quote unquote, in ELA, mm-hmm. what standards are they meeting more so than other standards? Because again, if you're pre-assessing at, every, at the beginning of every unit, uh-huh. you could differentiate by every unit and not just differentiate at the beginning of the year. Because again, we want to avoid tracking our students right yeah so we want to be ready to give our students the instruction they need at that moment in time so i agree with you it is about realizing some students are gifted in math and some students are gifted in ela but differentiation is also realizing that we even have individual strengths and areas for growth within every subject area. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to differentiate based on areas of growth as well as areas of strength within each unit, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, well, let me ask you this, uh, John. How can we actually differentiate instruction. I, I know you mentioned, you know, it could go beyond paper and pencil. I mean, could it be books on tape? Could it be uh, a computer program? Could it be uh, you have this fifth grader who who reads on a third grade level, but uh, you're studying uh, geology and science and maybe give him a third grade geology text? You know, that would be a form of differentiation, uh, would you say? Yes, all of, all of the above. So mm-hmm. this is this is what I would recommend. So if a student is, let's say, let's talk about students below target, and then I'll talk about students above target. Mm-hmm. So for students below target, whether you're a math teacher, an ELA teacher, a science teacher, social teacher, a lot of times they're below target because of their literacy, right? Mm -hmm. So it's about providing linguistic scaffolds. So are you providing, if, if the text is a little hard for the student, are you providing them, not every student, but the students that need it, um, an outline of what is in the article? Are you providing students with Cornell notes, which is a a specific note-taking format Mm -hmm. where you as the teacher could even scaffold or give students parts of their notes beforehand to help keep them on target? Are you giving your students an annotation code when they're reading? So they're not just highlighting everything in yellow, but maybe using one highlighter for the central theme and another highlighter color for main points. Are you giving students summary frames, asking students to summarize what they just learned? And even if they can't write a full summary frame on their own, 
are you giving them models? Are you showing them exemplars and then maybe even doing fill in the blank for your lowest level learners? Any of, and then even for math, let's talk about math and science. Mm -hmm. You know, are you providing an anchor chart for the steps of the process? Are you embedding the vocabulary in each step? And are you truly highlighting what students need to do at every step of solving that problem or undergoing that experiment? Those are all great strategies that teachers can be using to differentiate on the lower end on the lower end. Again, you're not lowering the learning expectation. It's right. still the great appropriate expectation. But by having those scaffolds, almost like think of a scaffold on a building that mm -hmm. is being, you know, renovated or built. Right. You you have those scaffolds put up until people can reach those higher floors of the building on their own, i.e., like when the elevator goes in, right? Mm -hmm. So so that's what teachers can do on the lower level. And then on the upper level, yes, you could give them more complex reading texts uh, on the same theme. Yes, so, yes. you know, whatever the learning intention is, that could still be the same learning intention, but maybe you differentiate the content and you give those students higher level uh text to read right Ab that's absolutely one yeah it's not like you're dumbing down anything you know correct yeah correct yeah. okay or you could differentiate product where again you have the students come up with their own research questions mm -hmm. maybe you use a dok question stem document that you could give them so they could develop their own higher level thinking questions and then create a project that they want to create that shows their level of learning uh, against that learning standard. So mm -hmm. those are just some examples. I mentioned differentiation by content on the lower end and the upper end. And I mentioned differentiating by product on the upper end. But again, you could use all four types of differentiation, content process, product and learning environment with your mm -hmm. lower level and your upper level students. One thing I just did want to add though, uh -huh. while yes, I think it is appropriate to give students who are lower level, lower cognitively difficult texts, we still like we keep going back to don't want to dumb down the overall learning objective. Right. Absolutely. Be because if we always give them lower, they're never going to reach. Grow. Exactly. Yeah, so I'm okay occasionally with a lower level text on the lower level. In fact, also, this reminds me on the lower level, you could also bring in non-linguistic representations, pictographs. That's right. Yeah, I was just thinking and, of that. Yeah. And yeah. charts. And to your point, lower level material that is still cognitively engaging. So let me give an example of that. If you're a, a high school teacher, mm -hmm. and let's say you're teaching the Holocaust, you don't want to give your lower level students the book Number the Stars, which is a, a common text that they use in sixth grade, because that might not be intellectually stimulating enough for a student in high school, mm -hmm. even though it might be at their reading level. What you might want to do instead is give them the graphic novel Mouse, okay. which is very complex in its themes. It's just written at a comic book level or a graphic novel level. Mm -hmm. So if we are going to be lowering the cognitive rigor of our reading texts 
for our lower level readers, just remember, we still want to maintain a grade appropriate learning standard. And if, if the lower level text gets them there, great. And we want to use lower level text that might be linguistically more simple, but thematically as rich and complex as the student is able that is appropriate i should right, say right okay <laughs> that's good there i'll tell you there's a lot to this huh um now it, you know this kind of brings me to uh what role does technology play in supporting differentiated instruction i mean are there any specific tools or resources that you would recommend i mean uh oh yeah but, definitely yeah. Yeah, so it's funny you're mentioning this because this week, because I, as you know, I post a lot on LinkedIn. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm going to be, it's not coming out today. It might be coming out later in the week. But I noticed some research. I was reading some research about how researchers are finding that student teachers in particular are only using ed tech for fun. They're not really using it in a systemic way uh -huh. to help students achieve and grow. So I'm going to be talking about that later in the week. So yes, uh, EdTech plays a crucial role in differentiation and yes, should be used purposefully, not just to entertain students. So right. See, that's the thing, because uh, I'm afraid that the new teacher would just go needs to really fully understand that. And a lot of times kids are on there just playing games and, you know. And exactly. Just, exactly. You know. So I'll give you some examples <clears throat> of how you can use EdTech purposefully for differentiation. So you mentioned before, Steve, augmenting or changing the level of complexity of text that students read. Mm -hmm. So there is a great company software tool out there. Many schools give their teachers free access. And I'm not a rep for this company, but I do appreciate the product. So I will mention it. And and that's uh, Newzella or News ELA. I still don't know how to pronounce the thing. But anyway, <laughs> Um and what it does is it allows educators to take to search for an article about whatever they're teaching, and then they could level up the vocabulary for higher level students, or they could lower the vocabulary of that same article for the lower level students. Oh, that's awesome there. Yeah. It's yeah. totally awesome. And in yeah. fact, I was in a classroom the other day where the teacher had students working at uh at different tables and mm -hmm. the text that they were reading was differentiated and the text any regardless of what text they were reading steve they were all still geared towards meeting the learning objective which is good uh -huh. but it but it wasn't the same text right and, right and the challenge with using different text or different completely different text is it could be a little harder for students to compare and contrast if you want them to, right? So there are those times you want them reading completely different texts to do higher level cause and effect. But again, you also want to avail yourself of technology like Newzella, which allows you to you know, differentiate the same text so students are comparing and contrasting apples with apples, right? Yeah, so yeah, right. Or if they did compare and contrast, because we did that a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, they could go ahead and, and compare and contrast in their specific learning groups, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be one option, too. But, yeah, I love this idea about this New Zealand thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. You just mentioned in their own group. So let's talk about that for a moment. Cause that's a, it's not mm-hmm. directly related to your question. And then I will get back to it, but I think you just opened up something really important when you said that they could work with their leveled groups. Yes. Teachers want to do that some of the time, but they then do also want to put kids in heterogeneous groups. Cause as, as we all know, Steve, when we get out into the working world, we're working with people of different That's levels right. of competency, right? Absolutely. absolutely. So what you could do is differentiate the process in that case. So let me explain. So maybe students who are lower level are comparing, as you mentioned, and contrasting their article or their leveled article provided by Newzella. Mm-hmm. And then maybe your upper level kids are comparing and contrasting at their ratcheted up Newzella article. But then the second part of that activity is then mixing kids up and having them compare and contrast across their groups. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a jigsaw, yeah. basically. It's a jigsaw activity. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but getting back to your ed tech question, there are a ton of other ways to use ed tech to, to differentiate. I'll give another very quick example. Steve, I see a lot of teachers reviewing for tests using Kahoot, which is like a polling game where uh-huh. they have a question on the board and kids use clickers and say whether the answer is A, B, C, or D. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and kids love playing that game. I mean, it's exciting to see how energized the teacher and the kids get playing that game. Mm-hmm. But the challenge I sometimes see in my coaching is they're not actually stopping and talking about why a certain answer is right or why a student answer is wrong. That's one way that then could help the teacher say, huh, so in playing this game, I now know, because Kahoot also gives you data back, yes. these, yeah. these kids have this information. So I'm going to have them create their own study guide for the exam and see if they could answer it. But these kids over here didn't get anything right. So before I give this test, while those other kids are crafting their own study guide, I'm going to work directly with this group of kids, give them a study guide based on what they got right and wrong in this Kahoot game, and then I'm going to give this test. And I bet you student results will be better, Steve. Mm -hmm. So, So that's a way you can either differentiate in the moment playing those games or you could use those ed tech type games for the teacher to reflect after the game is played to then differentiate other ways you're going to have kids prepare for the test and then give the test. Yes. Yes. I think that makes perfect sense. You know, well, that's great there. Yeah. Cause I know there's got to be a whole slew of, uh, of technology to support. Uh, oh, tons. Yeah. Differentiated instruction. Um, now this leads me oh, to Steve, Steve, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's Can right. I add one other thing? Absolutely. And, it, and it's yeah. to your, it's to your point about pre-assessment. Mm-hmm. A lot of times teachers will challenge me when I suggest that and say, oh, this is hard. I I, I can't do 30 different lesson plans. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have time. But again, <clears throat> then I usually bring out, but if you're teaching the curriculum and no one's getting it. What's the point? Uh, what's the point? Mm-hmm. So you do need to pre-assess. No, maybe you don't need to assess at the beginning of every lesson, although you can be doing formative checks for understanding in the moment of your mm-hmm. lesson, but, but that's another podcast. Uh, you know, but mm. you could be giving a simple pre-assessment 
and again, not grading it everything right or wrong. Just get a sense of who got who's got the learning objective you're about to teach, who almost has it and who doesn't have it to get your instructional groups going. So again, you're not differentiating for 38 students, you're differentiating for three groups, mm-hmm. um, the high, the average and the low. So that's one thing I would say about that. But to your point about ed tech, there's also a ton of ed tech out there that supports teachers in doing this. I was a facilitator for a while with NWEA, and I used to support schools in using map growth assessments. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, I'm, I don't, I no longer work for the company, but I do still value that product because, or that service, I should say, uh-huh. because after, and that's diagnostic testing that students could take at the beginning of the year, the middle of the year, and the end of the year. And why I like that assessment is it's a common for it's a common assessment. The questions are varied and extensive. Uh-huh. It's it's a leveled assessment. So as students get the questions right, the assessment gets more challenging. And as they get the questions wrong, it gets easier. So not only does it give students and teachers a good understanding of where they are in their journey towards meeting standards, then through its various reports it could actually help teachers differentiate the instruction based on where your kids are falling in certain groups. Yeah. Now that's NWEA. A lot of schools I work with also use iReady, which is a similar ed tech tool. So again, you could even be using ed tech to really help you with this, this pre and post assessment that, that you brought up. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing I was thinking about too, why I, before I taught a brand spanking new lesson, no matter what subject it was in, I'd always start with diagnosing because, you know, I just didn't want to bore my kids. And if a child already knows what you're about to teach, why waste their time? Exactly. I give them something more challenging up their game, you know, and have them produce something for me that, that, you know, uh, that goes back to your, you know, types of differentiation, you know, product, you know, so that's where I was coming from because, you know, I did not want any child to be bored. I mean, exactly. it was all the children all the time. I'm period. That's, that's was like my motto, but anyway, no, uh, you're exactly right. Steven. If I was a parent, <clears throat> if I was a parent of a student who had met the learning target uh-huh. and, and I learned that my student was either waiting on other students before their needs were met Mm -hmm. or the other thing I often see, and it's okay in moderation, but I think it's done to excess when teachers have students who have met the learning target teaching the other students. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. You know, research shows that teaching others really helps us learn our information. I get that, but not all the time. Yeah, not 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 a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely, because their needs need to be met as well. You know, so exactly. Yeah, where's ab- their growth? Where's right. their continued right. achievement? And, yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see. And sometimes you look at test scores, and you can tell. Well, you know, you're not teaching to the to the high level children. You can look at their test scores and say, well, that that's what's wrong. You know, but but anyway, that's another topic there. In well, itself, actually, very quickly to add <clears throat> on to that, to piggyback on what you're saying, Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a student might be advanced right now. But if you don't do anything to continue helping that student grow, that student might stagnate and eventually fall behind. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, that'd be, no, oh, that'd be, that and would it, be and cool. It, and it happens, it happens because t- kids get bored. 
they check out and then they stop growing. Mm -hmm. So differentiation is about both ends, not just the lower end. It's about the higher end as well. Definitely. Yeah, that's that's right. Now, now this is a, a, a biggie here. How does artificial intelligence factor into differentiated instruction? You know, and, and what potential benefits or challenges does it bring to ensuring equitable education for all kids? You know, it's kind of a, and one side of AI is kind of scary in a way. You oh, know, definitely. I know, it could, I know it, and it could be good, used for good, you know, and I, I don't know if educators, uh, you know, are, are a little skeptical of this, uh, you know, but I think as we move into the 20, as we continue on in the 21st century, I mean, AI is going to be a, it's going to be a factor, isn't it? Oh, it's going to be a total factor. It's a game changer, actually. Mm -hmm. It's it's a game changer like the Blackboard <clears throat> was a game changer. It's a game changer like laptops were a game changer. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's a game changer like cell phones are a game changer, which is yeah. also another whole podcast. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but to, to answer your question first, let's talk about how AI is going to change instruction in general. And I think despite its what's scary about it and what's good about it at its mm -hmm. heart, how it's going to change instruction is AI is going to allow students to it's, or basically it's going to create or allow students to type in a question and within one minute, get an essay. Yeah. So all of the time we have spent as educators asking students to write on topics like mm. Do, you know, write a research paper, write an argumentative essay. Mm -hmm. Chat GPT can do it for a student in a minute. If I typed in, what are the pros and cons of using, uh, what are the pros and cons of stricter gun control? Boom. In one minute, I have an essay. That's right. That's right. So our students are not going to be learning how to write. How to write <laughs> basic research skills. And to think that you're going to ban ChatGPT, it's like trying to build the dam after the flood has come. Yeah, but you know something, John? You as the teacher in that classroom, you know, or you should know, how your students write. You know whether or not that was generated from chat. Of course. Uh, you know, you're going to know because you know the child doesn't write that way. <laughs> of know? course. But rather, and you bring up a good point, Steve, rather than having to spend time checking, even though there's ed tech for this too, yeah, checking yeah. <laughs> whether or not a student wrote their own essay or not, we need to ramp up our, our teaching game. Rather than having them write the argumentative essay on whether gun control is a good thing or not, have them compare and contrast multiple essays talking about whether or not gun control is effective or not effective. So really getting students to synthesize and evaluate, curate, collect, disseminate information. That's the next step. That's mm -hmm. Bloom's higher order taxonomy. Yeah, That's yeah. what we have to A, start to do in teaching overall. Because ChatGPT is going to allow that lower level learning to occur. It's not yet able to do the synthesis, right? right. Although, although I did a test, Steve, I compared I've, just for myself. I wanted to compare two playwrights uh -huh. and it did a pretty good job. 
and I try to compare two wildly different playwrights. So I compared Shakespeare with um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Laboot, who's modern and Shakespeare, who's classic. Mm-hmm. You can't ask for two completely different playwrights. Oh, yeah. And, and oh, I'm yeah. sorry, Steve. Go ahead. No, no that's all right. I was just going to say and 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 uh, the the um, the chat GBT only covers up to, I, I believe, 2021. So, Correct. Uh, yeah, Correct. Yeah. Well, so. what it did, it did give me a pretty good idea of how Shakespeare thinks about theme A and mm-hmm. how Laboot thinks about theme A. But it didn't do a very good job of giving exact evidence of where in the text it's like, like, how do I know that's true? The yeah. student would still need, at least in the current configurations of chat GPT, would still need to go in and then cite the evidence to support a claim, which is, again, higher level rigor. Right. Right. Yeah. So we got to step up our game in general. Now, in terms of differentiation, I do think that, you know, how I would do it is we mentioned before having higher level kids ask their own questions. Right. Right. So maybe they ask their higher level questions to chat to chat GPT. Mm-hmm. They get a basic printout of an essay and then they go and they look up actual evidence to support their claim. Yeah. That Be- could be a way we differentiate on the upper end. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Steve. You no, I was just going to say, because a lot of <laughs> yeah, because a lot of uh, the resources need to be checked out on there. Uh, you know, I've found some that, you know, it's just not there you know what i mean or, or correct. It's not correct. correct correct so you know the information still needs to be verified so but yeah exactly that, that would be a great thing for them to do you, you know? know and then even on the lower end if kids are really having a hard time answering the questions that you're posing it could be a it could be a way of getting information for them or it could be a way that they could get their own information but like you said you still have to verify it because I was listening actually to a radio show uh-huh. uh, when I was commuting one day and they were talking about how chat GPT might actually create resources or footnotes that actually don't exist. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That they, that they went that in this ro- program, the researcher went back to check the New York times uh, archive. Because the article said that according to the New York Times, and they could not find any article that actually addressed that. So ChatGPT right now does still make up evidence. And yeah. that is that's a concern. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure probably as we go along, this thing goes along further, it'll get better and better. But still, you know, yeah, there's there's that's something that has to be used, you know, with discretion, I, I would I would suggest you know and kids need to know that everything they see on that is it you know still needs to be verified it don't mean it's 100 percent accurate exactly know, so, yeah. so verifying is taking it to the next level mm-hmm. and then again having students compare and contrast and evaluate information is taking it to the next level yeah okay great and you know i wanted to kind of backtrack a, uh, a little bit you know when you said remind you about what standards should in fact be taught Oh, yeah. Thanks, Steve. Because I forgot. So thank you for telling me that. (laughs) So uh, 
Yes, curriculum, like when you look at the Common Core state standards, if you're in a state that has the Common Core, uh-huh. or let's say you're in a state that doesn't have the Common Core, but you're looking at your, if you're in Texas, looking at your Texas standards, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's ELA or math, there are a lot of standards and that you have to meet. And a lot of times a standard cannot be taught in one day. It has to be broken down into its component parts. Because the standard could be very extensive. Like I'll give a standard in ELA. One standard is students will be able to identify uh, figurative language. Well, my God, there are like 20 different kinds of figurative language, right? Mm-hmm. You cannot do that in a day. You have to break down your standards. So for those of those of your listeners who are aware, some of your listeners might have heard of the concept of unpacking standards. Yes. Yeah. Taking, exactly. You know, taking a standard and unpacking it by content that kids need to know and skills that kids need to know. Right. Uh, Larry Ainsworth is a great resource for how to do this. Although, Steve, if anyone goes online and looks up unpacking standards, there are a lot of templates online on how to do that. So yeah, yeah. that's the first thing you got to, you know, know your standards and know how to unpack them. But again, If you are using formative assessment, whether NWEA, iReady, your own pre-assessments, last year's state assessment results, you can get a sense of what standards your kids have met, uh, which standards your kids have not met, who amongst your students met the standards, who amongst your students did not meet the standards. And then you could also think about, well, of the standards that our students on um, for the most part have not yet mastered and you want to look at it in terms of the standards you're about to teach so in terms of the standards i'm about to teach which standards are my students already showing some knowledge of and which standards are my students not really showing much knowledge of right the ones that they're not showing much knowledge of let's look at those And let's prioritize those standards based on a couple of things, based on which standards are tested more by the state or the federal government Mm -hmm. and which standards are building block standards for the next thing. Those are the standards that kids are not meeting that you then want to concentrate on. And those then become your power standards. Yeah. And those are the standards then you concentrate on and then differentiate from, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Um, Let me ask you this now. Um, How can parents and caregivers be involved in the process of differentiated instruction to support their kids learning at home? Uh, Sure, 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 sure. So if... For one one example, well, actually, I think this is the responsibility of the school, Steve. Uh-huh. The school should be creating, I don't know, some sort of parent academy, be training parents on how to do this. Because I, I love this question. Mm-hmm. Because for far too long, we've used parents as people who sign papers that go home with kids in backpacks. Yes. <laughs> and not that that's not important. Yeah. You know, we we, we got to main maintain legality, obviously. But to your point, how do we make them true partners in a student's academic journey? So for one, if if teachers know their child's reading level, whether you're using Fontes Pinnell or Lexile, Mm -hmm. that can help them pick out books to read with their child. 
Right. Or it could help the teacher to recommend certain books to parents to read with their child. Or it could even help the teacher to craft a blending library with books at different Fontes and Pinnell levels or or Luxile levels, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the school could be training parents on how to read effectively with their student. That's just one example. Yeah, I think that's very powerful there. Yeah. Yeah, that's just one example of many. Even even sitting down or if if a student is, whether they're below or above, just helping parents to ask the right questions of students to occasionally chime in and try to see their planners. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what are you working on today? Cause we all know kids will say nothing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, you can't take that at face value or how was school today? Fine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe if schools could do a better job of sitting down with students and saying, well, why don't you show me, just show me something you're working on. What's one thing you learned today? Right. We're, we're both looking at this worksheet. What did, what did you learn from this? What do you think your next step should be? And maybe the parent could even help the child goal set if the teacher has already evaluated and provided feedback. So having parents kind of like play a participating sport or, or, or a participation sport with teachers after teachers have given feedback, can schools train parents on how to engage with their students around that feedback? Those yeah. are just some examples. Yeah, great. You know, and uh, I wanted to ask you this: Are there specific training or professional development opportunities available for teachers to enhance their understanding and implementation of differentiated instruction out there? Sure. If they wanted sure. to take it further, you know, I mean, just yeah. be. A, in other words, they wanted to be a guru on this topic here. Yeah. Well, thank you for that question, too. And as I mentioned before, anything by Carol Ann Tomlinson uh, would be a great resource. She writes a lot, not exclusively with ASCD, the Association for uh, Supervision and Curriculum Development. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's the organization that produces the journal EL, Educational Leadership. Mm -hmm. So I recommend those resources. I'm also going to recommend a newsletter that I subscribe to. And you might even subscribe to the Steve. I don't know. Uh But Kim Marshall, Mr. Kim Marshall produces the Marshall memo. And this memo comes out every week. And it's his summarizing or his cliff notes, if you will, Uh on all sorts of research and journal articles that came out in education the week before. And what I like about the newsletter, Steve, is when you become a member, it also has a search feature, which Mm -hmm. allows you to go through his archive to search for topics of interest. And while it's it's very inclusive and goes well beyond just talking about differentiation, there are a lot of resources on differentiation uh, in that newsletter as well. So ASCD, Carol Ann Tomlinson the Marshall memo. I'll also recommend uh, Kim Marshall's colleague, uh, Jen David Lang. She produces the main idea, which is a similar concept that comes out monthly about latest books in education research. So again, yeah, yeah, again, not exclusively differentiation, but uh, I know a lot of the books that she has summarized have dealt with differentiation. Oh, this that's fantastic. Well, let me ask you, um, uh, John, what what is the biggest takeaway that you would want teachers to know when implementing differentiated instruction in their own classrooms? 
What Got would that it. Be? And it's going to tie back to what you just asked me about resources. One other resource I just want to get in there yeah. is, is the book Driven by Data. And mm-hmm. that's by Paul Bamberg Santoyo, because the biggest takeaway that I want people to leave with is differentiation needs to be purposeful and you need to base it on data. You have to do that assessment so you can move kids into differentiation when they need it yes. and out of differentiation when they don't need it. That's my biggest takeaway. That or is- I mean, that's my 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 takeaway for others, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Anything else to add on that? No, I think I think we covered a lot. What else? What else did uh, well, you want to talk? Well, about? I'll tell you what. Uh, I I just want to know where folks can go uh, to connect with you. I mean, you're just kind of like a wealth of information here. You know, I'll tell you, you know, uh, do you have a you want to share your your website or where where they, they can you know uh, touch base with you? Definitely. So I'm going to recommend or I'm going to suggest two ways you can reach me. Yeah. So folks can definitely reach me on LinkedIn. Uh-huh. Uh, my profile is John Shimberry EDD. Uh, I, like I said, I'm writing there constantly, you know, mm-hmm. wanting to contribute to to the dialogue and, and education. So hopefully that's proving useful to folks. So mm-hmm. follow me there. Reach out to me there. And I also am a member of the Work It Daily executive influencers club. Now this is a club of not just educators, it's uh, executives in any and all fields, but I do also post my long form articles there. Okay. So you could also see my content and reach out to me at work at daily. All right. Fantastic. Uh, uh, John, I, again, I want to thank you so much for your taking time out of your busy schedule to share your expertise with us today. Um, I, I know there is no doubt in my mind that that our our audience here is, is you know has gotten you know a wealth of information here today. Okay, and uh, I'll tell you, I look forward to having you back on a show again uh, at some point in the future. And uh, have yourself an awesome day, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Steve. I'd love to come back. So whenever you want me to come back, just let me know. Okay, great. Well, we have come to the end of today's episode. And at the beginning of the show, I mentioned if you'd be interested in having somebody with you every step of the way to guide and assist you as you transition into the classroom, and that I'd provide you with a link to learn more, well, here it is. You can go to tra.teacherclassroomresources.com. That's tra.teacherclassroomresources.com. And I want to thank you for listening to the Teacher Rockstar Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Hiles. And should you have a topic that you would like me to address on the show, shoot me an email. I personally read every single email that comes in, and I really would love to hear from you. When you get a moment, visit our website and subscribe to my newsletter for the latest educational research, best practices, and unadvertised free bonuses. Go to teacherclassroomresources.com. And don't forget to subscribe to us at the Teacher Rockstar Podcast. And if you'd like to support us, please feel free to share our podcast with others. Post about it on social media. And if you feel comfortable doing so, leave a rating and review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks again. We'll see you same time, same place next week. And remember, my friend, you got this.